Bruins lose last night a game they absolutely should have won. And I heard the excuses. Oh, they had 17 days off. Okay, that's fine. That's how they got down early. How does that explain what happened at the end of the game? That's the one I want to know. Jack Edwards joins us right now. Jack, via the AT&T hotline. What would you think, Jack? My man, what happened? Jack What Edwards happened at the so end of that game last night? Bad, bad loss to a bad, bad team. Damn right. That was just, that was just uh, you know, it, it's funny because I was thinking about this today. Um, the two goals in 17 seconds, game six of the Stanley Cup final, uh, it was almost easier to accept that kind of, not that particular loss because of what it meant, you know, the end of the dream, but that kind of a loss because you had the feeling that the Blackhawks finally overpowered the Bruins, that they were the better of the two teams. There was no doubt which the better of the two teams was last night. It was the Boston Bruins. They led with less than a minute to go in the game, and they should have won the game. I'll use the word should a lot, but they should have won that game. And if those two points come back to bite them, or that one point that they didn't secure comes back to bite them at the end of the year, uh, you can point to, to last night, and it's just it's terrible. They've let three points get away in Buffalo this season against a terrible team. What's your uh, analysis of the Chara play? Who do you blame for that? That's Chara's. You know, that's on him. He knows it. And I think he already came clean on it. He wasn't aware. And, uh, you know, D'Agostini, you may remember him from his uh, days with the Canadiens. Uh, he's an active, uh, capable player, and uh, he surprised Chara. He attacked the puck. Chara wasn't anticipating that somebody was going to attack the puck from that angle with that speed. And by the time he realized that he'd made the mistake, it was too late to catch him. And there he was. So, you know, full credit to, to D'Agostini for doing it, but uh, not not what the Bruins wanted to see. I was more disturbed by the defense played at the end of the game and watching Barkowski and Boychuk out there in the final moment, final minute when the goal was given up, especially uh, Barkowski. Uh, it's not that I don't like him as a player. I like Barkowski a lot. And I think he's, he's a really intriguing puck-moving defenseman for the future of the team. But I think it points out once again just the desperate need they have to replace Dennis Seidenberg because that's the type of player you want on the ice. If it's not going to be Char, you want that one or two other guys that you can really count on. And right now, I'm not sure they have more than Char and Boychuk. Yeah, dead on. I mean, you know, that's that's what it is. You're talking about a guy in Matt Barkowski who has 63 NHL games under his belt. He's going to be an excellent defenseman. as the guy who projects as a top-four defenseman. But last night... He got caught running around a little bit, and uh, not just in, in the final minute, but uh, a little bit out of position. Um, but he has things you can't teach. You know, he's, he's got wonderful speed. He's got great awareness of, uh, of the ice and, and when to take the space. And there are upsides to his game that make him a super attractive player that, in fact, made him worth Jerome McGinley to the Bruins because he was the man in the bidding last spring. But, you know, the fact of the matter is he's young. So is Tory Crook. These are young defensemen, and when it comes time to decide which of two teams is better, which is what playoff series are all about, um, there there is no solution to the lack of experience. You know, Ray Borks come along once every other generation. You don't find young defensemen who can step in and behave as if they're 30 years old. That just doesn't happen. Can we go back just a little bit? I know we talked to you right after Canada beat the U.S., uh, in the semifinals, we did not talk to you after the U.S. played the allegedly played the bronze medal game, did not show up, was embarrassed in that game. So we started to talk about how uh, how the NHL should handle players in the Olympics. 
Is there anything in that performance from the U.S. which really turned me off? Was there anything in that performance that made you think uh, maybe pros shouldn't be in the in the Olympics? Um, well, you know the the Olympics is is the highest um, festival there is in all of sport. And if what's wonderful about it, and uh, you know, I I'm presuming that both of you guys have had the opportunity at least once to to go to uh, to an Olympics and cover it. Is that is that you have this great crossroads of athletes from all walks of life, from all cultures, from all over the world, and, and that's a wonderful thing. And you want the best athletes representing every single sport. But on a practical matter, you know, there's really what other sport has to shut itself down completely. You know, alpine skiing designs its season around the Olympics every four years. It's not like... Alpine skiing is not getting a massive boost out of it because, you know, it's playing right to alpine skiing strength. It's not that way in hockey. You know, the NHL loses financial ground by, uh, by taking part in the festival. And, you know, I, it wasn't the, the terrible performance by the U.S. That, that turned me off to it. It's the prospect of games being at 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning in Korea uh, and gathering, you know, hashtag ratings um, that – that makes me uh, wonder if it's worth it to keep going. So, would you then have them play again in eight years? Just take take you know take the next Olympics off? Well, I, you got to look at it on, on a case by case basis. Um, and you know, we were talking about um, the advanced research that the NHL must be doing. Is it really picking up fans? Is it really uh, worth? shutting the league down for two and a half weeks when it's running unopposed. I mean, you know, it's the end of the college basketball season, oh. the dog days of the NBA season. You know, these are these are good times for the NHL to be in there, in their arenas and, and selling out during a holiday week, which it always is. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's a huge financial give back by the National Hockey League, and I'm not sure if the dollar's ever going to make sense again. Well, Jack, I, I say this uh, with some risk, but uh, NBC sure seems to think, based on the way they were talking last night, as if it did matter. I mean, watching the game on NBC Sports Network last night and hearing over and over again this Olympian and that Olympian and this guy just won the bronze with this team and the, and the gold with that team. I mean, they, they, they couldn't have mentioned the Olympics more between, the, between period shows and, and even on, during the game broadcast. Clearly, NBC, who I'm sure is going to have some some leverage in this, just being the major television partner of the NHL, clearly they seem to think that it was relevant. Yeah, well, you know, they, they, how much salt do you have? It's way more than a grain. I mean, Comcast has swallowed NBC. Comcast is in the process of swallowing Time Warner. Comcast is in the process of buying out every single bit of media it possibly can in order for there to be fewer than five voices left in the uh, entire media world. And if one of them is screaming at the top of its lungs that uh, the Olympics is important, follow the money. You know, it's, it's in NBC's interest to shut down the NHL for two and a half weeks so it doesn't have the NHL uh, competing against there the you Olympics. Go. You know, what, what, would, what would the target demographic that hockey dominates be watching? Would they rather watch the Bruins and Blackhawks, or would they rather watch let's say, uh, pairs figure skating. I mean, come on. You know, isn't that transparent? NBC's coverage is geared to make money for NBC and Comcast. So that's what it is. When you hear commentary like that, red flags ought to go up all over the place. I heard some commentary yesterday that made red flags go up, and I, I I was hoping that you would call in, but you didn't. 
So I'll bring it up again. <laughs> Mike Salk sat here yesterday and impugned soccer. He impaled soccer. On and on he went. Said he's rooting against the United States of America because he does not want soccer to be big in this country. Please, Jack Edwards, Yeah. your thoughts. Well, you know, it's a beautiful game when it's played aggressively and well. And uh, I would love to sit down uh, with Mike sometime over a couple of beers and explain the game to him. It's uh, be a lot it's of beers. near and dear to my heart for a long, long time. And uh, if I can't convince you, that's okay. We can we can live uh, in different places. Um, you know, before we run out of time, I want to connect two dots in the sports spectrum because of all this Rajon Rondo thing. Um, I, I want to take you back to late November of 2008, I believe it was, uh, the Chicago Blackhawks had uh, had road games. I think it was two road games out west, like in Phoenix and Dallas, and then they had played in Toronto. And then they were going to have three days off with a stop in Chicago before they went out and they played three games in California. Their general manager, Dale Talon, uh, was not traveling with the team um, for the last game of that, uh, that first half of the three-game plus three-game swing uh, because his father had died. So the Blackhawks, after they played Toronto, uh, were supposed to fly back to Chicago. And they didn't tell anybody. Nobody knew. The media didn't find out for another week. They spent the night in Toronto, and they took a 110-mile bus ride in two buses. Everybody who made the trip, equipment guys, um, you know, coaching staff, Every single player went 110 miles. That's like from Boston to Hartford on buses to attend Dale Talon's father's funeral. They didn't announce it. They just showed up. They did it. On their day off, in their one of three days between two three-game road trips, and uh, you know what? If, if you're measured by the company you keep, I, I could not be prouder than to uh, be around the character of the people that uh, I have the good fortune to be around almost every day, almost every winter um, in the National Hockey League because that is the character. That is what team means. It doesn't matter if you're day off or you're scheduled day off or whatever. If you, if, if you need to do the right thing, you do the right thing. And in 2008, the Chicago Blackhawks did the right thing. And this kind of thing, uh, maybe not to that extent, but in spirit, it happens all the time in the National Hockey League. That's a really good story, and I guess I would be correct in assuming, Jack, that if you had a day off coming on your birthday, but Nesson was asking you to travel, you'd probably travel with your group? Um, listen, here's the thing. You, you do what your job requires you to do. And as Cam Neely once told us after he got two and a half teeth busted out of his mouth and convinced the trainer to let him back in the game with a piece of adhesive tape over the hanging nerves that were exposed out of the broken teeth. Uh. He, said, I, I, he said, I felt I owed it to the guys in the room. You owe it to your teammates. You're in it together. Every minute of every game, you're not going to be a professional athlete or a professional broadcaster for that long in your life. you got a chance to make a contribution, to, to feel your teammates working for you. They have your back. You have theirs. 
you never pass something like that let me, up. Let me you ask you a question, Jack. To help your team. Let me ask you something, because I, I share all of your opinion on hockey. I mean, I totally agree with this. I agree that hockey players are a completely different breed and handle team and dedication and pain tolerance and all those things differently from other athletes. Why can't more of that, why hasn't more of that rubbed off on other athletes? There is a culture that runs through hockey that is a really special thing, and it is enforced not by um, the guys at the bottom of the pyramid, but by the guys at the top of the pyramid. And it goes back to the days of uh, Rocket Richard and Gordie Howe and uh, Jean Beliveau, and uh, it carried right on through Bobby Orr and Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier, and, and now it is even with Sidney Crosby, as much as some people like to make him a villain, that on the team, within the team structure, no one is allowed to put himself above anyone else, ever, ever. And, and if you do, you are cracking the core, and you're breaking that, that link in that chain that uh, Andrew Ference uh, used to haul around the Bruins dressing room. Uh, and that's what it is, and, and they really believe that, and they play that way. And, and uh, you know, it's really special, even peripherally, to be involved with something like that. And it makes you want to work harder and makes you want to achieve. And it makes you understand how valuable teammates are and, and how you have to make it work all the time. And, and I, you know, I, can't, I really can't speak for other sports. So all I can tell you is that that definitely exists in hockey. And, uh, you know, I wish for all the world it, it, it happened in, in companies and corporations where, you know, people give the 20 best years of their life and show up for work on a Monday and find a pink slip in their mailbox because, you know, the company wants to go in a different direction. And, and that's, you know, that's just the way it is. But in hockey, uh, you know, teammates, it, it's more than a word. Well, Jack, before we let you go, just one more quick thing. Uh, your opinion on Sarah Jessica Parker? Um, I think the situation she's been in on television uh, make her seem a little bit more attractive than she might be. Um, I, I, you know, I think she's okay. Like a six, you know. six and a half. Yeah, I don't, I don't like to go for the numerical thing. <laughs> I think it's kind of demeaning, but uh, I, you know, it's she's not, she, she's not the uh, the most drop dead gorgeous example of femininity i've ever seen i guess wow so the guys in the back room are jumping up and oh, down they're, like they're so jack, happy with you jack validated if us. you drop like an equine or horse reference andy and ben are going to be so excited it'll really make their day Jack's either class either way jack it's great to talk to you always brought to you by norfolk power equipment and i appreciate more than anything you telling me that i didn't need to be down near each soccer field in order to have an opinion on soccer that was the best part of yeah. today yeah it's all right wait till you watch a couple of games with me see you jack good to talk to you yeah. There's Jack. Jack Edwards brought to you by Norfolk Power Equipment and appearing via the AT&T hotline. <laughs> He's something else. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> He's something else. That story's a good one, though. I mean, a, I no, mean it's good. You it's know, good he, he really does make a good point. The question, though, is, all right, Rajon Rondo's not a hockey player. No kidding, right? I mean, no kidding. Rajon Rondo doesn't have that kind of mentality of a hockey player. Well, no doubt. The question is, can you do that in basketball? You know, no, if he were the captain of your hockey team, that's probably not going to work. But can it work with him as the captain of your basketball team? We'll answer that next. Salkin Holic, W E E I.